Welcome to another episode of The Gary Hour. I'm your host, Gary Levitt. This episode, I talk to comedian Athir Yaqub about her formative experience growing up in Alabama as a Muslim from Palestine. Have you ever been a Muslim Palestinian woman growing up in Alabama? I've never been. This was an interesting conversation. I learned a lot, and I think you might learn a lot too. I was definitely surprised by a lot of things she said. And I think you might be too. This episode is brought to you by Future Moments, makers of apps for content creation. Do you have a video with crappy audio? Check out their app, Audio Fix for Videos. Boost that volume. Get rid of that noise. Eliminate that hiss. Go to the App Store and search for Future Moments. They've got your app for what you need for your content creation. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe. And if you want to be really kind, leave a review for us where you get this podcast. It surprisingly really helps. Okay, on to the show. Here's my conversation with Athir Yaqub. having me well we'll see if it's your pleasure <laughs> that's true <laughs> so uh before we get to your formative experience since that's the uh, theme of the season yeah uh, how about a little background i know you've you were born in Palestine. palestine i was actually born in alabama um but i moved to palestine when i was six months until i was four and then moved that's back a, to alabama it's yeah. a big move for a six month you know. i know i was like what's going on why are people speaking differently <laughs> So your parents did that. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously the political situation there is always uneasy. So we had to kind of move back and forth a lot. So I lived there probably like 20% of my life, 30%. Like I would move back and forth. So I went to middle school there. Um, and then I moved back to Alabama, finished out high school. I went to like one year in elementary school. So it's kind of random, but we used to go every summer if we didn't like already live there. So your parents were born in Palestine? Mm-hmm. How'd they end up in Alabama? That's a good question that I talk about my act, but the real story is kind of boring. It's just that my uncle knew a family from Palestine that lived in Alabama, uh-huh. and he just moved there because he didn't know anyone in the States. And then my dad followed along, and then, you know, it's just the same thing. More and more people from my family immigrated. Alabama of all I know. places. I don't think they realized what they were doing, to be honest. They had no idea. Like... Back in, like, my my parents were like, yeah, back in the 70s, we were just considered white people. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> like, sorry. <laughs> Not like so, it is now. <laughs> no, it wasn't like it was. I mean, it was still racist, but not so much against Arabs. And I think that's because they there weren't that many Arabs. They didn't know how to hate them. <laughs> right. And there wasn't the like, internet with all this information. Right. Exactly. They didn't know anything about arrows. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the ignorance is bliss. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what's it like in, uh, 
look really scary, Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't I haven't lived there for about nine years now. Thankfully, I moved to New York like right after college, and I've just stayed here. But I go back and visit. So I, I guess it was this kind of goes into I guess my formative years. Like when we moved back, it was right before nine eleven happened. Um, when you moved back to Alabama, Alabama from Palestine, okay. yeah. So that totally changed things um but in general like growing up there i think i had a like a normal childhood you know you kind of don't know what's going on mm-hmm. until someone points it out to you and it wasn't really till I, I i knew like it was weird living there like i never really felt like i fit in but then when i when i came to new york everyone's like what alabama like that's so weird and i'm like is it i guess <laughs> it's just what's it like living in palestine um better than alabama (laughs) really yeah i really liked it i think honestly like the city i'm from in the west bank is called ramallah it's kind of like a mini new york city like it's chaotic there's um it's very diverse there's people from all over the world that come through and work there um it's fun i don't know i really enjoyed it i mean aside from like all the craziness that was going on but is there a lot of i mean all we really hear about is the craziness yeah we don't hear about the day-to-day it is but it kind of goes through periods so sometimes it'll it'll, it'll be quiet for a little while and then it it gets worse and then when it you know at the height of it like my parent my my dad was still living in alabama um because you know he cannot just like leave his work and stuff so we would move back um when things got a little too dangerous but i still didn't want to move back to alabama i was like just leave me here you wanted to stay in palestine (laughs) yeah wow at what age did you make that decision that you wanted to stay i think honestly i was most sad about not like i guess in in high school like i i didn't want to live in alabama i was just like i don't want to be here so i wanted to i was thinking about going back for college to Palestine and then they didn't really have anything that I wanted to study in their main university. So I just stayed in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after I finished college, my parents moved back for three years with my younger brother. He finished high school there and then they moved back again when he started college in Alabama. But my brother, I have three brothers. They like the South. They like, I don't know. They're like, Birmingham's fine. <laughs> have they become uh, pretty Southern? Um, I would say the eldest is probably the most Southern. The other two, they, no, not really, but they're very much still like, they're all very much still Arab culturally. Like that's something that my parents really wanted to ingrain in us, which is why they kept kind of moving us back and Mm. forth. So we would have that sense of belonging and not feel like, you know, you're not quite this, you're not quite that. So it helps like being able to fit into both cultures kind of, you know, seamlessly. Um, but they don't mind like the slow lifestyle. The quality of life there is better than like you would get in New York as, you know. For your dollar. For your dollar. Yeah, yeah. it definitely goes a long way. It's warmer. It's How about in uh, Palestine? Uh like economically? Like, yeah. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. People Quality of life. Sh- quality of life is good if you have money. Right. And most people who live well have outside money. Um like not, you know, or own land or you know are in real estate so my dad kept working in alabama because there you know he had his own business and um there was no way like he could do that in palestine you you speak two languages i do yeah okay cool yeah 
How do you yeah. how do you keep up with your Arabic here? Um, most of my fr- friends are Arab. I really oh really. I have a lot of Arabic friends. Uh, my boyfriend is Arab, so we don't really speak together in Arabic that much. Just occasionally, or like when we want to talk about somebody <laughs> um, <laughs> while they're in the room. While they're in the room, <laughs> or like on the subway, you would be like, "Look at that! What is going on?" Um, so it comes in handy in, in that sense. But my I usually talk to my dad in Arabic because he mm-hmm. makes us, or he used to make us. I guess at this point, he w- it would it just feels weird now if I spoke to him in English. Yeah. Do Do you find yourself forming a new language like like Spanish and English? Spanish? Yeah. Yes. Yes. There's definitely like especially the school that I went to in Palestine. It was an American, or uh, yeah, it was an American school. Um, but everybody spoke like broken arabic and english kind of mm-hmm. mixed in so they would make up words or like the way they were i don't know they would use like verbs in in english and make them into arabic so it is kind of like spanglish but arab well yeah Spanish. what would you call that i don't know there's no it, it doesn't <laughs> flow as well as spanglish yeah it doesn't, it doesn't. no arabish ugh. and i saw Spang- i watched some of your uh stand up online and you were talking about how your parents are conservative muslim yeah they're- yeah they're yeah, more so my dad, I guess. My my mom is more like traditional, culturally conservative, but my dad is more like religious, you know, prays five times a day and mm-hmm. um fast Ramadan and um Do they still live together? Yeah. Your mom and dad? Yeah, yeah, okay. they're still married. Um I mean my my mom prays and fast. I don't know why I'm making her seem like she's <laughs> I guess she's just not as like strict as my dad. Yeah. Um but he's kind of loosened up on us over the years. Um, I guess they're not that sh- as strict as some other parents because, you know, it's very uncommon in our culture for, like, the girl to move out, especially if she's not married. So right. I was the only one, like, I have three brothers, and I was the only one that moved out and, like, came to New York City. Yeah, pretty bold, huh? Yeah. <laughs> she's becoming American. She's yes, so independent. It, that's so... <laughs> Right. I know. I'd always get accused of being too Americanized with my liberal ideals uh, or whatever. Are you practicing uh, Muslim? Islam? Uh, not really. I would say I'm like culturally Muslim, but right. I don't really practice. Yeah, that's kind of how I am with uh, Judaism. I just yeah. like kind of connect with it in some way, but yeah, you just don't feel like you need to practice it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But there's something nice about it. Yeah. But, it's nice to have traditions and customs and things that kind of grounds you. Yeah. I was thinking about that with Hanukkah that just passed, like yeah. how my grandmother lit the candles and her grandmother probably lit the candles and how it's like, oh, it's kind of like the one thing connecting people throughout the ages. Totally. Totally. I think that's what people gravitate to, um, mm-hmm. especially, I don't know, I think especially what's going on in the world feels like there's no real like gravity to anything there's nothing like holding you down and i think for a lot of people religion is like a place that they go to just feel at peace and it grounds them i mean it it doesn't give me that same i think that's stand up for me maybe (laughs) right totally um but you know for normal non-comics it's probably other things yeah it's it does seem like that in society and like everything that we kind of knew as a foundation is kind of being up it's like an upheaval of a lot of basic foundations and this president doesn't help it it's like, yeah whoa. oh my god yeah like i what i thought the u.s president was supposed to be he just completely disregards it's bizarro i mean trump is exactly what i thought he'd be but yeah as a president the presidency in general that 
role, you would never think that it's filled with somebody like that. Yeah, reading some of his tweets, and it's like a millennial mean girl. You're yes, like, that's you're crazy. Like, what do you say? Even just the word choices that he has, you're yeah. just like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, I saw this thing that, thing that on uh, his translators, like translators around the world. Have you watched him translated in Arabic? No. It must be impossible because he switches course mid-sentence. Yeah. And he changes. It doesn't the, make any sense. It doesn't. Yeah. So for a translator, how do you even do that? I have a tough time following him in English. Yeah. But imagine like a translator and oh, then yeah, yeah. the listeners. I can't even listen to him in English, let alone in another <laughs> language. It's like this. I only read his tweets by seeing other people quote his tweets and mock him. Yeah. So I don't really like, unless something crazy comes out or it's trending on Twitter, I'm like, what's happening now? But there's just too much to keep up with, like all the crazy shit that he says. It's totally. just endless. Yeah. Sometimes I end up at his Twitter just to see if it was actually him because I'm like, no, this must be a parody. Yeah, yeah, this can't be real. <laughs> now I'm like, I, I believe anything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's nothing too crazy that he won't say. Yeah, it's bizarre. So... Can we hear about uh, one of your more formative experiences? Yeah. I mean, God, it's hard to pinpoint like any just one thing. I I think for me, one of the most like coming of age kind of thing where it really made me like kind of grasp my identity and, and, and really made me like question more like who I am and what this means is like when I moved back from Palestine to Alabama, like I started... Um, a new school, high school, which is never easy, let alone being like the only Arab kid in your school. You went right from Palestine yeah. to high school in I Alabama. went to an all-girls school, middle school in in Palestine, and then I started a new high school um, in Alabama. <laughs> I mean, so. that's hard enough to even jump into a high school in the States. Right, right. Totally. Let alone the culture shock of... Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I guess... I was kind of used to moving around and going to different schools. So it wasn't, that part didn't scare me as much, but it, it wasn't easy. And then let's see, so school started probably like August, September. And then I remember like when 9-11 happened, you know, everybody was like watching the news in class and, and I was the only Arab, but I don't think people really knew like where I was from. I think most people didn't like my school is only like white, black and Latino. So like, I was like the only other like right yeah they didn't know how to categorize me mm -hmm. so then um I'm pretty sure or I hope my teacher didn't know where I was from because when she was watching the news she just turns to the class and she's like I bet it was those damn Arabs no and way. I was uh -oh. like oh god no <laughs> I was like please don't let them be Arab <laughs> <laughs> I was like this is horrible enough like please don't let them be Arab and I just remember like sinking into my seat and then I didn't say anything because I was like well I'm not gonna <laughs> you could always say you're israeli too right yeah right that's why a palestinian <laughs> wants to identify us. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i i don't know and then um i think honestly like i didn't get as much like i guess racist feedback from people but there was one kid that like called me a terrorist mm -hmm. and i was just like no fucking way like you're not saying this to me and i just remember like going off on him at school and what's more messed up is that i had actually gone to elementary school with him mm -hmm. like we went to like k5 first and second grade together and then like reunited in 10th grade so i'm like you knew me like a long time ago and now suddenly you see this stuff on the news right. and you think that i'm a terrorist somebody right. known like 
pre all of this crazy stuff. And I think now it must be even harder. I don't know. It's harder and easier in a lot of ways for other Arabs in Alabama or other minorities. Um, because there are a lot more Muslim immigrants and like people from, you know, Middle East that have um, come to Alabama, which is so weird. I'm still like, why? Why do you guys continue to do this? Yeah. How, how do you handle that? Because obviously he's just... I mean, you, you obviously you're gonna just you're gonna get angry is your first yeah. reaction. But you also it's coming from a place of ignorance with him, just yeah. lumping everyone together. So how do you handle that? Do you talk to him and like try to reason or educate him? I think at that point, I I'd probably do that now mm -hmm. and since then. But I was just so angry and i'm not the type of person that you could easily like anger and i would never like go off on somebody i'm like more if anything probably like passive aggressive or just wouldn't say anything mm -hmm. um or just like write in my journal die motherfucker no i don't <laughs> <laughs> like i was like a quiet kid i don't know um leave a dead rat in his locker yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> um but at that moment i think i was just so furious and it was just like i was hearing like anti-Arab, anti-Muslim, Islamophobic stuff from the news and from like everything around me that it didn't really hit home until that point. And mm -hmm. I think I just like kind of lost it. Um, he had it coming. <laughs> what did you think when Bush invaded Iraq? Um, that he shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah. But in in what sense, like, like, because it seemed just like a, it seemed just as you were saying, like a general, like, oh, the Arabs attacked us. Let's it's just, just a reaction, right? Yeah, it was just a completely inappropriate, almost impulsive. Yeah, yeah. God, who would have thought Bush was and, had more sense now <laughs> than, <laughs> than Trump? Oh God. That's, but you being from that area, you have a better understanding of it. Yeah, I mean. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, this is like a, a, a very common pattern that keeps happening. Like one group of people does something and it's collective punishment for another group of people that had nothing to do with it. Right. So, or I'm sure the oil had something to do with it. Um, just that area. Mm -hmm. and I don't know. I was, I was kind of young and ignorant about politics at the time, but I, I mean, I still don't know everything. There's no, but, um, I just knew, I was like, this is fucked up, and this isn't, you know, these are not even the people, like, none of the people that even, like, committed that terrorist attack were from Iraq, like, it was, like, Afghanistan, Saudi, and, like, whatever, um, but nobody, even now, like, people don't know the difference, can't differentiate between brown people, or, like, they, you see, like, terrorist attack, and they could be from wherever, and they're like, oh, that's an Arab, or, like, Sikhs being attacked, when they're Indian and have nothing to do with Islam whatsoever. Right. So it's almost And they're pretty like, peaceful. Yeah. And like, exactly. Like, it's all about peace. And like, they're the ones getting attacked for something that a small group of like radicals did. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure uh, Bush probably already had his plans to do that. Maybe he just used that to justify the invasion. Mm -hmm. I mean... See, evaluating it from where we are it's like all right i'm i'm in new york i'm a new yorker looking at alabamans i'm like whoa they're like almost a different country down there yeah you know we might look alike and then i would want to be lumped in with an alabaman yeah you know the stereotype the of stereotype, one. yeah yeah and that's the thing like 
even Alabamians don't want to be stereotyped or people from the South, mm-hmm. and yet those same people are are doing it to others. So, right. um, but of course, no one but no one sees what they're doing mm-hmm. as wrong. I guess. Um, Let's get back to your formative experience. So, nine eleven that must have definitely changed things for you. Yeah, and I, I honestly like it was formative in the sense of like. I think that's when I began to like express myself more. Um, I in high school that's when I started getting into like stand up comedy, and I was always interested in like political comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, like I love David Cross because he brings up all these like crazy issues and makes that and like. I don't know. He's just hilarious and we'll make a really hilarious joke about it. So I kind of like take part of that of like take the politics that I know about and my personal experiences and try to form them into a joke because hopefully if somebody else, if there's another kid that was called a terrorist and has gone through this and they see a joke about it, like at least they feel like, okay, it's not just me or they feel some sort of relief Mm -hmm. through that. I mean, I think that's, the purpose of comedy but it did definitely like help shape my personality i think it made me more resilient um and not care as much about what people thought about me because mm. i'm like they don't even know me so why do i care if they're judging me and that's a very good necessary trait to have in stand-up comedy <laughs> it, it is i think it's only yeah yeah i think it's especially in stand-up because you know m- a lot of audiences aren't gonna like you yeah. or what you say and you know, you just have to have like a strong sense of self because you can't be like swayed about how you feel about yourself based on what others say you, or do or how you they perceive get, you. Totally. And you yeah. have to get comfortable bombing. Yeah. With people just not liking you. Yeah. I think that was like the f- first thing. I was just like, okay, well, what's the worst that can happen? They don't laugh. Mm-hmm. All right. You've been through worse in your life. Like mm-hmm. that's not... You know, you've been through actual bombing. Like, this isn't going <laughs> to, like, literally, like, this is not going to kill you. And you're in a unique position because there's so much nuance with, uh, you know, the Middle East and how we perceive it that you're in a unique position to talk about it and kind of fill in a lot of that nuance. Yeah. I think it's hard. It's much more simple to just lump everybody together. Definitely. But yeah. I think until you've lived somewhere and really, like, seen the different people day to day and you get the differences and similarities. That's really beneficial to a more peaceful society. Right. And I think, like, I'm also in the unique position that a person sees, like, an Arab Muslim female, and it might, hopefully, it shatters whatever stereotypes they had. I mean, your full face is exposed I know. I'm not wearing a burqa. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Although today is the coldest day I should have worn a burqa. (laughs) I thought about it. Uh, Do you have any feelings on uh, women that wear burqas? Yeah, so it's kind of like a point of contention or controversy in in Islam. Um, Technically, in the Quran, it doesn't explicitly state anywhere that a woman should cover her hair. Mm -hmm. Um, It was, let alone her face. So the face thing, that's more, that's that's not very common. I, I don't really see it in Palestine or that region. I think it's more common in like Saudi Arabia and maybe the gulf um are they more conservative they're more conservative but i would say they're conservative in the way the south is conservative here where like they take the religion totally out of context yeah and just blow it out of proportion and go to the go to the other extreme yeah um what they're totally on the opposite end of like the spectrum of like this is the nuance i was talking about yeah yeah because like (laughs) 
you know, to most people here, it's like, oh, Muslim's a Muslim, you know. Right. No, and we're like, oh, no, not Saudi Arabia. Like, please don't think like we're, you know, right. we're that kind of Muslim. Like, we, we give our women rights and like we're not oppressed and like, mm-hmm. you know. I've never felt oppressed like a, a day in my life, and in ter- by my my own. I mean, I'm a. That's not true. I'm very oppressed. No, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> well, I don't feel. A, I, yeah, I'm a woman. I'm Palestinian. I I don't feel like anybody forced religion on me in terms of like my family or or like living in Palestine. Like it, especially my city was like very liberal. But I will say it is kind of a bubble, and it does depend on your family because that's where religion starts really so it's really up to your family to um kind of teach you those values and traditions so i think in in saudi arabia it's just that's just more common and it's their law so like even if your family like i know people who are more liberal who whose parents have worked in saudi arabia but they have to follow the actual law there in terms of how they dress Mm. um but that doesn't necessarily reflect their own beliefs um i refuse to go there i'm like boy god you, you won't even go. I won't even go. No, no. Did I read that they just recently allowed women to drive? Yeah, yeah. And that's a legal thing, not a religious thing, or is that one and the same? No, that they've definitely taken their own interpretation of of the religion mm-hmm. and weaved it into the law. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. Um, but you know, I, I get angry when I see a woman wear a burqa or a young girl wearing a veil. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you teaching these kids? Um, you do. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, uh, you know, if, a it's it's that person's choice if they truly are like i want to cover my hair and i feel that this is like right to me and this is how i feel comfortable i mean who am i to say like then you know as long as they're not judging me for like wearing a bathing suit or whatever um so if it's their choice that's fine it just angers me when it's not that woman's choice. Choice is a, is a sticky word. It is, yeah, because it's like, well, I I'm choosing not to get stoned and <laughs> right. And you grow up in that community, so if yeah. you make a different choice, you're you know banished from that's your community. That's true. That's true. I mean, uh, even more, I, I see like younger younger girls now in Alabama um, start wearing the veil, and even though their parents are not necessarily that conservative, it's like their age group and like all the you know it starts becoming like this thing like a fad um it's weird designer burkas designer yeah oh my god yes you should look up like in, in i was kidding that's oh i know in the gulf they legit have like like gucci what uh, it's so ridiculous i don't know they're like all decked out and they have a lot of money mm-hmm. um and they just love to show it <laughs> in whatever that's... flashy way possible um so they have like designer veils. Like I see people wear like Burberry veils and stuff like that. I'm like, this is ridiculous, which totally defeats the whole purpose of modesty. So the, the whole purpose of the veil right. is about modesty. But I will see like women um, yeah, like wear like super tight clothes and with like juicy on, written on her ass and then like a veil. I'm like, I think you're missing the point here. Right. But then I think, well, did you decide this or it's just just your way of expressing yourself? Mm-hmm. Um I, I don't know. I mean, I have like, I have cousins who like, like I have a cousin who's independent, lives alone, never, never got married, who wears a veil. She just feels that's right for her. Nobody asked her to do it. 
Um, so I'm like, all right, like that, if that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. Like, uh, it's really none of my business to come and say, well, that's not what the religion says. I mean, I'm no scholar and I really don't practice. So I'm probably considered blasphemous by a lot of Muslims. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm, I'm approaching it from like the opposite liberal, um, end. but if you look at the religion, and look at the Quran, it never states explicitly that you have to cover your hair. So it just drives me crazy if I see like woman full burqa, like only her eyes showing and people think, oh, that's the image of Islam. I'm like, no, like, look at me, look at other people. Like, right. it's a spectrum, just like any other religion. Yeah, well, it's the same with the Bible. People take it all different ways mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to extremes. Yeah, I mean, even Judaism, you have Hasidic oh, yeah. Jews, you have Orthodox, you have liberal or reformed. Like, yeah. um, But I think it's just, you know... It's those religions have been around longer and they've had more time to evolve also. And mm. had, I think um, it doesn't show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I yeah. mean, there's definitely a wide range or like a, a huge spectrum between, you know, one Christian from the next or one Jew to another one. Yeah, yeah. that's true. And with, mo with Muslims, there is more of a spectrum now, but that's not highlighted on the news. On the news, mm -hmm. we're just seeing like terrorists and radicals and all these things. You're not saying, hey, average female living her life liberally you know do you, do you think there is a natural trend with islam like is it and heading in general is it getting more liberal more lenient that i don't know overall i feel like i i have even seen like more like sheikhs and iman, imams um have more of a modern view and preach a more modern religion and mm -hmm. more evolved religion so that's something i think like i didn't used to see or hear about so i do feel like it is evolving yeah i mean even the pope came out like for right. gay yeah. marriage right right like who would have thought that would happen right nobody nobody so that's that's just a good example also of how religion i mean people evolve the world evolves like you can't be living in like the stone age and expect people to follow the same types of traditions that they did you know back in jesus time especially if you need new recruits <laughs> right that's true you i gotta appeal to the younger like population yeah too. that's very true so in palestine they don't wear burqas or most don't no so palestine like um they have a I think it's like 30% Christian population. Okay. So, which a lot of people don't know that there are a lot of Christian Arabs too. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Nobody hears about them, but the, it's very uncommon. So, they've, like, the city that I grew up in is originally founded by Christian Arabs, oh, Christian wow. Palestinians. It's like the whole city, like all the businesses, it's owned by Christian Arabs. So, um, it's got, you know, bars and nightclubs and whatever, like things you probably wouldn't think about right. seeing. So, right, because they don't drink. Right, like, or not supposed to. But not supposed lots to. Of, <laughs> <laughs> not supposed to, but a lot of Muslims do. Um, is that in the Quran about the drinking? Yeah. It is. It's something. There's some, something in there. I Here's the thing that gets, I mean, this is really nuanced, um, but there, <laughs> there's something called, there's a Quran and then there are like, um, stories about what the prophet said. Okay. So a lot of these are unverified. First of all, how are you going to verify it? I mean, if we're following along with the religion and saying this is the true word of God, then what is this extra book saying? Well, the prophet said this and the prophet said that. So a lot of it, people have 
made up over the years or somehow got misconstrued. I mean, even the Bible's evolved and changed in so many ways. Yeah, like Old so Testament, many different New ver- Testament. Exactly. What is the New Testament, the remix? Yeah. <laughs> so these, like, the Quran is unique in that, uh, or, you know, it has not changed in terms of, like, what it says, mm. but then there are all these, like, ancillary, you know, additional texts that say the prophet did this and prophet did that. So I think the more conservative stuff comes from that and the stuff where you're like that that's weird that doesn't make sense so i always tell people like refer back to the actual quran to see what that says Mm -hmm. versus what people say and they interpret it and then say like the prophet said this and the prophet whatever Mm -hmm. um but sorry what was your original question i'm going off on tangent no booze no yeah so no alcohol yeah no uh sex before marriage um but hash and opium that's okay <laughs> no so it's no mind altering drugs oh okay that's that's you. at least that's consistent right right <laughs> so but people i don't know i know people who like won't drink but will smoke because they feel like i don't know i i don't know what about caffeine that's fine it is okay. they they drink a lot of caffeine yeah 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 well if you can't do anything else Jeez. yeah arabs <laughs> invented co- i mean uh you know yemen was one of like the biggest exports of coffee yeah um so yeah they they would not survive without caffeine and people smoke a lot of cigarettes like mm-hmm. it's very common in the culture mm-hmm. um so that they say it's not it's not that it's forbidden it's just not uh, it's frowned upon. That's the word. Yeah. Right. Like it's frowned upon to smoke cigarettes or do any harm to your body, but it's not forbidden. So. Right. Can you explain to me the Israeli-Palestine conflict? I know it's like probably a hot button topic, but I really don't. I mean, they're fighting over land, mm-hmm. right? Which is like, you know, that's ageless. Country's been fighting over yeah, land forever. So I'll tell you the short version and then you can kind of, I encourage everybody like go and read and, and look up the history but um, basically, in 1948, you know, Palestinian Christians, Muslims, and Jews were living mm-hmm. in the region. It wasn't until after World War II and the Holocaust happened that um, European Jews started moving to the region of Palestine. And basically, there was a hostile takeover of the land because they wanted to reestablish like a, a safe Jewish homeland. But it came at the expense of the people who are already living there. People were literally, and you could look this up, it's called the Nakba. It's it's the day, it's 1948, it's the day that um, started the whole thing. I mean, I guess it was like a lot of series of events that were leading up to it. But in mm-hmm. 1948, people were being forced out of their homes. They were being killed. So a lot of people are refugees and still can't go back. A lot of people still have the original keys to their homes where wow. now Israelis live. Right. Um, so it's they were living in harmony at the time. It's the way that they came in and took over the land. So the European Jews came in. Yeah. And what did they do with the Jews that were already there? So a lot of them either pledged allegiance to Israel or there are very, very, very few, I've been told, that are that still claim to be Arab and Palestinian. Right. Which is interesting. But even um, other Jews from the Middle East who were being um, persecuted for their religion, like from Iraq and Syria and Iran or wherever they mm-hmm. came over, Morocco, Algeria, there was a lot of Arab Jews that were being persecuted, you know, came also over to Israel and joined joined in. Right. To have their own land. Yeah. That's pretty desirable. And then you could form your own government. Yeah. 
So, but is there not enough room for everyone? So that's the thing. Like Palestinians actually are in favor of the one state solution. Mm -hmm. We all live in one country. Call it what you want. It could be like Spanglish. Yeah, exactly. Call it Pal-Israel. Call it Israel. We don't care. (laughs) We just want equal access to water, education, electricity. Um, You know, people are living under like really horrible conditions in refugee camps, people who used to have physical homes in different areas. Wow. So um, then there was like the 1967, you know, Six Day War where Israel, um, you know, acquired even more land. They won. They, of course, they have the best military in the world Mm -hmm. where we have a very disorganized, crazy government, which most Palestinians are not even in favor of, but they call the shots. Mm -hmm. Um, but not nearly as sophisticated of equipment or, you know, artillery and armory that Israel has. So obviously it was very easy for them to take over in 1967. But on top of the land that they keep acquiring, they keep building settlements into West Bank regions, which is considered under the Palestinian Authority control. So so even if you like... Under a UN resolution, it says that, you know, these settlements are illegal, just building homes on top of. So that already makes the two-state solution. So a lot of Israelis are in favor of the two-state solutions. Like, well, you get your land, we get mine. It's like, yeah, easy for you to say when you're getting 90% of the land (laughs) to say, yeah, we'll just have two, two countries. I'm like, no, that's not equal. That's why we're in favor of having one country. We're not trying to kick them out. We're not trying to say, you know, they don't have a right to exist. They already exist. How can we make the situation like work? So I think it's a more pragmatic, practical solution to have one state. That's the only way you can ensure that both parties are actually getting like equal share. How much would you say this is uh, the, the fact that they can't get along and do the one state so easily? How much would you say is cultural and how much would you say is religious? Because you have the Christians there that kind of Neither. throw a wrench in I it. say it's political. Oh, really? Because... Hmm. There are Arabs in Israel that have been living there for years. They work together. They go to school together. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm from the region of the West Bank that's all Arab, but a lot of my friends are, you know, live in Jerusalem and Haifa and Yaffa and all these areas. But there's that there's go- Jewish Arabs, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's all political. I think that the civilians can get along mm-hmm. if there can be a political solution. Um but there isn't one right now. And Trump saying that declaring Jerusalem as the capital of Israel was one totally against UN the UN resolution. Right. 128 countries voted against that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and now latest is that they're building a railway in Jerusalem and naming it after Trump. No, <laughs> yeah. who's doing that? Israel? Israeli. Israelis are like, oh, okay. I don't know if you want to align yourself with that kind of That's person. That's gross. Yeah. yeah. So basically, you know, it, it's just a hot mess. <laughs> it's, it's, but it's mostly symbolic, right? In what in what way? Calling saying Jerusalem oh. is the capital. Like it doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't mean yeah, people have to. Yeah, it doesn't. He can't do it. They're just moving the the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. But all the Palestinians that I've spoken to that live there are just like, who gives a shit? Like, it is it is what it is. And I think this maybe highlights more to the world how the two-state solution can't really work. Mm. Um, so they want to dismantle it. And I think that this this only hurts the two-state solution, which is something that 
you know, most Palestinians are not in favor of. Right. Yeah, who wants, who wants like millions of people living like 10% of the land, like wherein you could all just share. I don't think it's a problem of, because culturally we're very similar. That's the thing. Right. We're very, very similar. We come from the same region. We're of the same people. Like we, I, I don't know. So I don't see how that would work out. The language is similar. <laughs> so I think if they could work out a political solution where we could live in the same place, then, you know, people just make it work. So does it have to do with money? Like you say political solution. So it's like if Israel, if Israel takes up most of the land and declare, it's control, they want to. Con- so they get more of the money and the resources and the resources. Water and they, right. so all like we're basically landlocked. All of um, the 1948 land that we call like the occupied land um, is all the all the desirable portion of the land, mm-hmm. all the seas and the oceans and all that we have no access to. Um, and they also control electricity. They control oh, wow. um, the water resources. You know, Gaza's electricity is turned off like most of the <laughs> most of the time. Um, it, they control like who gets food in Gaza specifically, but even in like Ramallah where I'm from, which is like a more liberal, like bustling metropolitan city, um, certain businesses or most businesses can't thrive because they don't have total control over the resources. Right. See, I declared uh, my kitchen the capital of my apartment. <laughs> and it didn't change anything. It did, yeah. <laughs> yeah let, you know, it would be good if it changes something for the better and, and shakes things up because right now it's the status quo and mm-hmm. we need something to, I guess, shake it up so if if it takes trump and his idiocy to do that then so be it that's interesting because that's kind of an optimistic view of this country too yeah like the pendulum swinging so far one way then it'll just swing back the other true that's very true and i think that is one of the reasons that people voted for trump like well let's see what happens Mm -hmm. or like oh it's like you knew what was gonna happen (laughs) it's it's been a chaotic year for sure yeah yeah so you Let's get back on your trail. So you were high school in Alabama. Yeah. And then you went to college where? In Alabama, undergrad. Okay. In Birmingham? Yeah. Cool. To the small Southern Baptist conservative school where we have to go to chapel every week. (laughs) Really? What did your dad think of that? He didn't care. It was a good school. He Mm -hmm. was just, they didn't want me leaving to go out of state. So I studied nutrition and um that was the only school that had nutrition as an undergrad mm-hmm. major um otherwise i was like can i move to atlanta and they're like no you're staying here <laughs> that was the, like the next coolest city like the closest coolest city that i right. could move to and they're like no you're you can go here find a school local so i i went to i went to the state school or yeah, University of Alabama and Birmingham UAB for a year and a half, and then I transferred to Samford, and with, not to be confused with Stanford. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people was here, and I'm like, all right, I'm not going to correct you. No. <laughs> um, Let them think it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, um, and so I, I finished college there, and then I moved here for grad school yeah. to New York. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. So you went to grad school. 
I'm currently wearing my alma mater, which I don't ever do. <laughs> Is that I think Columbia? Yeah. yeah. I was like, this seems douchey, but I'm going to wear it. So, <laughs> so your cold. hair is blocking a letter, oh, so I okay, thought it was good. like, Columbia. Yeah, I went to Olumbia. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, when and what? So you started stand-up in high school? I, no, I, I started really getting into it in high school. And then I... Um, used to visit new york when a, my friend and i decided to take a trip when we were 18 mm -hmm. um it was like our first year of college i don't know how my parents let me go but and i i since that trip like i was obsessed with like new york and i would always come visit and i had friends here so my parents like let me visit on like you know winter break or whatever and i would go to the comedy clubs and i was just like watch and watch and watch. how did and you I'm, hear about stand up in the first place um, I was always into comedy, but more like sitcoms and old school comedy. Like, you know, when I was like 10, I would watch like I Love Lucy and Mary Tyler Moore. And oh, like, the classics, yeah, huh? like mm -hmm. the old stuff. And I was like so into that. And then I would like, I guess I just saw like stand up on TV and, and I was like, what is this? And I was just like, watch it. And then I think it was like a friend that took me to a comedy club in New York. And then that's when I became like super obsessed. Like I would go to the cellar and you went to the cellar. Yeah, first. nice. And I was just like, "This is all." Although I had no concept of like what the cellar was versus any other club versus mm -hmm. whatever. But I guess that was the most popular one, and we just like went. The grizzly pear relies on that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I did not make it there until I you got started lucky. doing open mics, and I was like, "Ah, okay." And then you get exposed to a lot of places. Um, mm -hmm. Good and bad. <laughs> yes. If you would have went to the Grizzly Pear first, you'd be like, hmm, what else am I going to do with my life? That's so true. Oh, my God. So I I did not think, though, watching it, that I would ever actually do it. But then one year I visited New York. And this is really, I think, what helped launch my stand-up career, make me feel like I could do this, is I was – there's the New York Arab American Comedy Festival. Mm -hmm. And it's been going on for, like, 10, 11 years now. Um and I watched it. I, I happened to be here um, when it was going on. And I watched it. And I was like, that was the first time I saw Arabs doing stand-up. Mm -hmm. I was like, what is this? Who are these people who had, like, very similar experiences to me? And and I think some of them, like, lived in the South and other places. Like, not, not as, like, people like Virginia. I'm like, that's not really the South. <laughs> but that's as close as they got. And that was really intriguing to me to see other people that grew up like me mm -hmm. doing something like that and talking and sharing their stories. And I was just always interested in hearing people's stories. And and I came to New York. I went to a couple open mics and then I was like terrified. And I was like, okay, I got that out of my system. And then I didn't do it for like five years. Wow. But I kept writing material. And I had like all this material on my computer for like five years that I just sat on. And every year that I would see there's a submission for the Arab American Comedy Festival. And I was like, no, no, I don't want to do it this year. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not ready. And then one year, finally, I was just like, you know what, I'm just gonna do it. And then I started going to open mics. I, I recorded like a 10 minute set, which like, you know, starting out, it's hard to get like 10, 10 minutes. minutes. Yeah. yeah. And it was decent. And I think that's because I'd been writing all this time. Right. But I had just never like really put it to any use. So I, I you got. Were doing it five years earlier, you kind of broke that invisible line. I think mm -hmm. people are like, oh, I want to do stand up. And until you're actually up there doing it. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. So like. I actually have to write and form these jokes and think about every single word yeah. and the cadence and all that. It's, it sounds so a different. lot easier in your head until you get up there. 
it's so much harder than like yeah you watch people and you're like oh i think i could do this that looks easy it's <laughs> yeah, just talking, just talking. <laughs> yeah well i mean that yeah if they make it look easy that means they're doing it really well yeah. but it's so much harder and i mean of course the first two open mics i did were horrible and then i took off like three i was there was like two years in between and I, and I never even talked about the fact that I was Arab in the first like two or three mics. And then when I was submitting to the Arab American Comedy Festival, I was like, oh, well, I should bring out all this material that I've had about being Arab. And I think that's when it really clicked because it was really personal. Mm-hmm. And it was, I guess, a unique experience. Like growing up in Alabama as a Palestinian Muslim and people would be like, what? Like, I want to hear about that. Um, even though I didn't really think it was, in- I thought it was just normal. Like, mm-hmm. that's just. Well, I- you, said, you said earlier that it's kind of your. It, it's your foundation, mm-hmm. which I interpreted as like it's kind of therapeutic. It, totally, totally, it's therapeutic, and it's a way that I, you know, learned about myself and discovered myself that I wouldn't otherwise have through anything. Um, like I used to write poetry, and I still kind of do, and I, that was like my way of expressing myself since I was like eight years old, literally. But mm-hmm. I, it wasn't anything that I wanted to put out there, right? And it wasn't until I started doing stand up where I'm like, no, I want to put this out there. Like I want to put myself out there. Yeah. Um, which is scary, as you know, and and really vulnerable, but it, it's just an amazing feeling. And it it's if something you know negative or bad happens, um, stand up and comedy is the way I interpret it and try to you know make something good out of it. Yeah, bring out you the know? light. On the exactly, because you're like, okay, this was a shitty experience, but maybe it can be a bit one day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you find when you do the more personal stuff that it kind of gives you more of that therapeutic feeling yeah yeah definitely i find that when i i like so many different types of comedy and when i try more observational stuff it just doesn't hit Mm -hmm. it doesn't and i i keep trying stuff and i'm like okay let me go back to something personal and it it definitely works more and it clicks more Mm -hmm. so there is definitely something and for some people it's the total opposite like some people are like totally just observational they don't talk about themselves at all and that works for them but i think you have to like figure out what style or what voice that you want to project and what really clicks with the audience i think the audience yeah yeah well i think they sense it when it's when it has a lot more weight on you totally like means a lot more that's true it's more high stakes and, Mm -hmm. and Therefore, it's more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also something that another person can't talk about. They can't really speak to your own unique experience. Right. So that's a good way to kind of differentiate yourself from other people, too. There's so much comedy out there, as you know. Yeah. So many stand Everybody now stand-up comedians. So yes. It's good to be able to distinguish yourself in some way. Yeah. A few years ago when Louis C.K. was like at his height, there was so many comics just going out and just talking about their lives like yeah. it was a therapy session yeah and thinking like that's how it's done it's like no there's actually thought that put into this and, yeah and lots of masturbation and <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's, I had to that's bring. too bad <laughs> yeah but you know whatever less competition <laughs> i'm like all these like <laughs> I, not that i was in competition with louis ck but i was gonna say louis ck is your biggest competitor He's my comp- yeah no i mean it's good that at least these people are being outed and I'm hoping that scares other young comics mm-hmm. or other young men who think that they can get away with this that 
you know, obviously you can't. Um, well, this Me Too thing is a whole cultural yeah, upheaval. Yeah. Do you think this will hit any of the Middle Eastern countries at all? Is there some um, sort of change happening there? I hope so. Um, I know, like, even before all this, I mean, street harassment is a big thing in the Middle East. Mm. Um, more than more than catcalling in New York City? Oh, my God. Catcalling in New York City is nothing. I'm just like, when that whole thing was happening, I was just like, all right. Like, this is not that, like, that's to discount people's experiences. Yeah. But, like, I've had really scary, like, harassment and street harassment and catcalling experiences. How, tell me, like, how how is it more and, intense? So, I guess it's, I mean, it's just okay it's not that it's okay i guess it's more common there and people are also like really sexually repressed and then mm. they see a pretty girl or someone not covering their hair or whatever mm -hmm. and they're like they go crazy um but i i mean i blame that on their family for and their their moms and dads for not like teaching them better mm -hmm. um you can't treat your you know can't treat women that way it's like those same guys who'll be like super overprotective over their sister. Like you can't talk to my sister. I'm like, but then you're gonna go say this to you to someone, someone else's, else's sister. sister. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that would be something we'd yell out before, like when I lived in Palestine. Like, don't you have a sister or uh -huh. a mother? Like, <laughs> well, what would they say to you? Just like, um, they would hiss a lot. Yes. <laughs> like, or like, um, that's so creepy. It is. Yeah. That was... would be something. Um, if you, God forbid, you were like eating or drinking anything on the street uh like drinking out of a straw and like ooh, i wish i was a straw in oh, your mouth god, right and i'm like oh god um you would never eat an ice cream cone like mm -hmm. just, just that you're just yeah that's bad just yeah. licking something walking down the street anything phallic looking or banana yeah um is this me too thing happening over there is other being exposed to that I'm not sure, honestly, because I was just following it here. But that's that's an interesting point. But I do know, like, even years ago, like, um, I knew this girl in because e Egypt also like street harassment is huge, mm -hmm. and she started um, this thing. It's like a map, like by GPS, in certain locations that have the highest amount of street harassment. Like she was tracking that, cool. then going to local um, shop owners and discussing street harassment with them. And telling them that, you know, she was basically onboarding all these people to be, like, advocates for anti-harassment. So if they saw it happening in their neighborhood or in their store, that they would stop it and say something. Yeah. So she was, it was very, like, grassroots. So this was something, I mean, like, five, ten, you know, eight years ago, I think, when I met this girl. Um, I, last time I went to Palestine, which was this summer, I was actually surprised. I didn't get harassed at all and I, and I was like hmm maybe they're evolving and my friend just recently went to Egypt and I was like oh my god did you get like street harassed like you just like walked around by yourself she's like no uh, I'm like that's interesting maybe they just have more shit to be dealing with at this moment <laughs> in the Middle East that they're like we can't even bother but or maybe hopefully people are, are being more educated and it could be that it's changing I hope so because I noticed it because I'm like oh if I walk like a single i don't know and then my i was telling my younger brother and he was like oh but you're like beyond the age of getting street rest. i was like oh wait is i just too old now you, you finally aged out of i aged out of street harassment I'm like well in new york i'm still a, you know somebody's cat calling you know oh my god that yeah i was like oh i'm just too old that's what it is no well, but i hope that's not the case probably not 
um, when because I see like a lot of the cultural stuff that's happening here or, or pol and political stuff, mm -hmm. it's also happening in other countries. You know, that's like true. the Brexit thing being similar mm -hmm. to Trump getting elected, and mm -hmm. now Italy's having crazy stuff. The mm -hmm. president just dissolved the Italian parliament or something. And it was like Spain, Catalonia, yeah, be independent. I yeah, I think it, there's definitely like a ripple effect, mm -hmm. or like maybe we're just so focused on American politics in this country that we don't see what else is happening in the world because the world knows everything that's happening in America. Yeah, right, right. Right? They see news from America all the time. They know yeah. just as much about it. I mean, look at Canada, even just like a very basic example. And we don't know anything. I mean, I'm guilty of it too because I turn on the news and I'm like reading whatever is like local, whatever's mm -hmm. happening here. I mean, I get my Middle Eastern news from like my, my Arab and Palestinian friends on Facebook and I see them post stuff. Um, so I'll like go look it up. But in mainstream media, we don't, we don't hear about other countries and what's going on. I think that's that's really bad for us because it makes us definitely less informed and we have to you know really go out of our way to to find out what's going on yeah it makes us like a small town or an yeah, island yeah 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 it's not good i wonder if that's if these cultural changes and political changes are because of us or it's just like we're all part of some sort of collective consciousness or collective evolution mm -hmm. I that, yeah i don't know Deep thoughts. Deep, I know that should, <laughs> should save that. That should be like your offshoot, like podcast. Deep thoughts. <laughs> so you got into the Arab American. Festival. I did. Oh yeah. How sad would it be if I did it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so then I then never I quit did. for another five years. <laughs> you know, I probably would have. I had such like low like stakes in myself at the time. I was like low confidence in my stand up because mm -hmm. I was. I just. I had just started out. I mean, and you also do, is there another Arab woman that's ex that you can look to as some sort of like? So the well, the founders of the festival. There's um, it's a Palestinian woman and a Palestinian guy. Okay. Um, Maysoon Zayed and Dino Beidala, and they do a lot of political activism stuff. They do a lot of like, I mean, they're they're like all over. They've been doing stand up forever in New York. Mm -hmm. Um, so I. I watched them and I thought, well, you know, like that's somebody also, that's another Palestinian female Muslim, mm -hmm. like talking about her experience. So I, maybe people would be interested in hearing about mine, but like before I had no frame of reference. And there, is there anyone famous? Yeah. That, I don't know. It's kind of sad that there isn't now that I think about it, like a famous Arab female comedian. Yeah. Well, there's not even that many famous Muslim comedians. That's true. Hassan Minhaj. Yeah. Yeah. But does he, do you feel any connection with him? Because I don't even know where he's from. But like he's from India. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean it's cool hearing him talk about his experiences as a Muslim. At least he's bringing these issues to light. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think if there's like the female equivalent of him, but mm -hmm. I mean, Maysoon Zayed is like pretty popular, but not a like you know. Hassan Minhaj is on The Daily Show and very, like, mainstream. But they're out there. There are, like, a lot of talented female Arab comedians, but people just don't know about them. Right. Um, but it helps if you have someone to, like, be like, oh, all right, that's someone that I aspire to. Because if you have no one, you're just, like, kind of floating well, a little bit. Well, I had bit. Louis C.K., but now he <laughs> <laughs> had to go fuck it up. No, His experience no. is so similar. Yeah, we're <laughs> totally the same. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know. I 
That's hard to say. I think maybe I just look at female comedians in general. I'm like, let's start there with right. just the female part. It's yeah. hard to yeah, add on the other qualifiers. Um, I mean, it's hard enough being a female mm-hmm. comedian, let alone, add, you know. There's so many men doing it. Yeah. Like too many shows, there's maybe one female. Yeah, yeah. The two. show we were on. You were the only one, right? Oh, me and Selena. Selena. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. That's true. Um, but well, that's because Andrew probably paid special attention to have it rounded yeah, out. Yeah, he, he's one of the people I think that, that does that where other you know, other hosts or whatever, they don't care. They don't even think about it. They don't it. even think about it. They're like, oh. But it, w- it would seem weird to people if they saw eight women on the lineup and mm-hmm. one guy. They'd be like, what is this? What's going on here? But it's totally normal to see eight guys and like no females at all. And yeah. nobody would bat an eye. But more and more women are doing it now and hopefully getting more exposure. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of like that with a lot of the cat callers and even the people that mm-hmm. were hissing. I don't think they know. Like, I don't think they're thinking about the fact that they have, like, for you, it's it's annoying, but there's also, like, a threat of violence. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they're even thinking about that or realizing that. Yeah. I mean, you don't know what this person's capable of. Like, mm-hmm. they might think it's harmless, like, hissing or I'm just, like, hitting on you. I'm giving you a compliment. Yeah, exactly. They literally think that. And, like, really? Like, if you were, you're walking home alone and, and somebody that, is intimidating like says something to you you're not gonna i mean it's different i mean men live in a different reality altogether um and haven't been in that position we should make a video where there's like a big huge strong gay guy yeah that's calling all the other guys who, on the street. who was the comedian that said that basically don't say anything to women that you wouldn't want a guy in prison to say to you Mm. <laughs> exactly i was like that's that's like the closest example that i can find mm-hmm. you don't want a man in the showers hissing at you and calling you baby <laughs> especially if they're bigger than you exactly mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so just send all men to prison i think that'll be a good <laughs> social experiment just for like a week and and make them shower <laughs> yeah. with big muscular men <laughs> they'd come out a little different I yeah think. do you still go it's back like, to palestine I do. Um, this summer was the first time I had been in nine years, which oh, wow. is the longest stretch. I used to go every summer, but then when I moved here, it was really hard to get away for that long mm-hmm. um, from work or school. So I didn't really have a chance to go. And then I only had two weeks, and I was like, you know, I'm just going to go. Like, if I if I keep waiting, I'm never going to get, like, a month off to do anything. It just seemed like such a long trip to just take for, like you know, a couple of weeks, but I, I how long of a flight is that? It's 12 hours. So I have to go through Jordan. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I was, I have an American passport. I was born in America, but because my mom has a Palestinian passport and we were traveling with her when we were younger than 21, my, my younger brother and I were forced to get the Palestinian passport and ID, which makes you ineligible to fly through Israel. No way. Yeah, so I'm not even allowed to to go to Jerusalem now or Tel Aviv or any of that area. So I have to bypass that. I have to fly to Jordan, which is 12 hours, and then I have to cross the border that's controlled by the Jordanians and Israelis. That could take from three to six hours um, by car or bus. You can't drive. You have to take a car there. This makes booking on kayak 
very complicated. I know, I know. <laughs> well, the booking, the flight is like the easy part. I was uh-huh. dreading the border. I was just like, I cannot spend all day mm-hmm. in the in the sun in like the middle of you know the summer, like just oh. But it, it really wasn't that bad. It was quick, but it's just an annoying thing where you could just fly straight from New York to Tel Aviv would be so easy. Mm-hmm. We used to have an airport back in like. My dad was showing me a picture in like I don't remember when, like the fifties or something, the forties. They ha- no, not the fifties. It must have been forties. They had a an airport, but that was dismantled. So now we have to go through Jordan. So most Palestinians who have Palestinian citizenship or ID, is, the ID is separate from your citizenship. You can have an ID and not a passport. Oh wow! The passport is kind of useless. The ID just makes you able to go into palestine and i guess you can like own property there and like but if you like my dad didn't have the palestinian passport he just had the american so he would have to go in as a tourist on a tourist visa think you'll ever want to live there i used to say i would but no not Mm -hmm. after this trip i was like i can't it's just culture shock i think it's just i wouldn't even know what to do with myself i mean I would love to go for like extended period of time, but like with comedy, I mean, I don't know. I it's it, it's hard to not feel free and to be like, especially under this like political circumstance. If it were different, mm-hmm. maybe. Right. But feeling like you can't leave the small like area and and not go anywhere and feel like under control and constantly seeing like checkpoints and soldiers everywhere. Yeah. And you're just like, well, this is not fun. Is there stand up comedy there? There is, um, but most of the people like are from a lot of Jordan. A lot of Palestinians left and moved to Jordan during that period, and so a lot of them like go back. There's like a group of people that go back and do shows there, and people eat it up. They love it. I'll they bet. love it. And um, there's actually a Palestinian comedian here that took a group of Palestinians last year, and he he's been doing a festival every year, cool. and it sells out, and like people are like totally into it. You so, gonna do it? Um. Maybe if I get mm-hmm. asked to, I'll, I would do it. I just, I'm like worried about my material. I'm like, I can't do anything in Arabic because uh, it doesn't translate well. And like, interesting, right? Yeah. So that's what I think. But, but I think other people have done it in English and it was fine. I mean, most people like they're speak English. So, mm-hmm. it, especially if they're like following stand up, then I'm, I'm sure they speak English. Yeah. But that would be definitely, I want to do stand up there if I go with a group or on my own. Uh, I think it would be an interesting experience. Just got to find out like what, I don't know. It was, it used to be a dream of mine, like open a stand up comedy club there, but like, that's too much work. Maybe I'll do, (laughs) maybe I'll start with a workshop. Like, Mm -hmm. right. See where it goes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Or a couple shows. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So what's, what's next for you? Um, in terms of like my comedy career, uh, I, would so my, my dream, I would love to write for a show and Mm -hmm. then continue doing stand up. Um, a few months ago, or my a group of us started um, a group of us. I guess we <laughs> <laughs> us people. No, um, brown comedians. I'm putting that in quote because uh-huh. brown is like this new term. I guess that's that's emerged um, from all of this. So after tr- like the post Trump era, because we're not black, we're not white. Obviously, we're like we're brown from the Middle Eastern area or like South Asia. Um, but anyway, there's. A group of writers um, from different, I guess, from Palestine and different, like, I don't know, brown countries um, that started a show called Passport Control. And mm-hmm. that recently, we recently got a pilot on Brick TV. So it's like a late night political 
um, talk show, but we're going to see where that's going. So we did a pilot. We have to kind of wait and see if we get like a series going with them. It's like a local Brooklyn channel. I don't know if you know it. Um, cool. So hopefully that goes somewhere. If not, I'm going to keep writing and, and try to make that happen and keep doing stand up. Get that packet out there. I know. It's so hard. It's so hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming and doing this and telling us all these stories. I learned a lot. Oh, it's my pleasure. Now I can say that with certainty. It was fun. <laughs> I didn't think I had that much in me to talk, but I'm oh, glad good. I did. <laughs> glad I pulled it out. Yeah. Thanks a lot. No problem.